I'm sorry, in verse 21 saying, so he said to them again, and, I, and when, I, when I saw that word again, David pointed out a couple of weeks ago, there's, there's an again in verse 12. That gives us this sense of, of continuity, that what Jesus is saying is, is in the flow of the narrative. It's, I think, again, it's a reinforcement for, for, for seeing that those first verses, that first section at the beginning of chapter 8, probably isn't part of our text, that, that it, it's, a, it's a sort of an interruption and as Jesus was in the temple, it's, as it said, he's, he stood up on, on the last day of the feast and he began to declare. And, and what we're seeing here, I think, is just part of that flow of narrative. He hasn't left the temple. We saw at the end of our passage uh, in verse uh, 20 that he was in the treasury. It gives us a specific place in the temple where Jesus was teaching. I think back, going back to chapter 7 and then flowing now into chapter 8, that's what we're seeing. Jesus is gone to the temple. On the last day of the feast, he stood up and began to declare and, and teach, and he's still there. He's still making declarations. He's still proclaiming. He's still, he's still teaching. And it says, so he said to them again, and this is what he said, I'm going away. You will seek me. Where, you're, where I'm going, you can't come. And the reason I mentioned those three things is that's exactly what he said uh, near the end of chapter 7. If you flip back to chapter 7 in verses 33 and 34, Jesus said this, I will be, Jesus said, I will be, I'll be with you a little longer. I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me. You will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. So again, I think we see this continuity. What he said there back in chapter 7, he's still saying here. He's saying it again, but he, but he adds something here. I don't know if you noticed. He, he adds something. He, he ratchets things up just, just a little bit. He says, I'm going away. You're going to seek me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And, oh, by the way, you will die in your sins. You will die in your sins. That's why I'm saying that Jesus is talking about a road here that leads to death. You're sobering words. I, I try to put myself in the place of whoever was there in his audience. We don't know. Maybe it was the same people that were there when he was talking back there in, in chapter 7. Maybe they'd already heard this. I'm going away. Uh, and where I'm going, you, you're going to look for me, but where, you're, where I'm going, you can't come. They'd heard that before. And then he adds this new piece of information. I was going to say he has this nuance, but it's not really a nuance. It's, it's a jarring piece of information for them. You'll die in your sin. And what's, a, what's remarkable to me is that they, they don't pick up on that. It's as if they heard what he said before and they sort of gloss over this thing, this minor detail that they're going to die and that they're going to die in their sins, that their destiny is death in their sinfulness. Because look at the way that they respond. Verse 22 says, The Jews said, Will he kill himself? Since he says, Where I'm going, you cannot come? To me, that's, it, it's a little bit, it, 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 it flabbergasts me a little bit that that's what they picked up on. They didn't pick up on Jesus saying that you're going to die in your sins. What they picked up on was this thing about him going away and that they can't come there. And again, we see this point of confusion. We saw it again last, we saw it back in chapter 7 when he said something similar. 
And they said, he said he was going away, and where, they were, where he was going, they could not come. And they said, well, are you going to, is he going to, to minister to the Greeks? Is he going to go, go to the dispersion? What, what is this that he means when he says he's going away and where he's going that they can't come? They make a similar mistake this time. He says, when, he's, when they said, will he, will he kill himself? They're, they're trying to figure out what it is that Jesus means when he says that he's going somewhere that, that they can't come. This idea of suicide for observant Jews... Um, both going to the Greeks and committing suicide, I think, would have been equally unthinkable. Going to the Greeks, we're not going to do that. Those are, those are, those are unclean Gentiles. We, we can't go there and associate with them. And then here when he says, or is he going to kill himself? That's, uh, again, equally unthinkable. Josephus writes, uh, the first century Hebrew Jewish historian writes that suicides, those who commit suicide, are received by the darkest place in Hades. He writes that God's hate, God hates such doings. He says that suicide is an impiety toward our Creator. So again, in the minds of these first century Jewish people, it would have been unthinkable. Suicide was an unforgivable sin. And to me, there's a, there's a double irony here. When, the, when they ask, is he going to kill himself, there is a, there's a sense in which they're, they're right. You see, in, in, in verse 18 of chapter 10, Jesus tells us that no one takes his life from him, that he gives his life freely. So there's a sense in which he is giving himself up to death. But the other irony, I think, is even more stark. See, the irony is that he has just told them that they are going to die in their sins. If they, if they don't come to him in faith, they are going to die in their sins. So it, is, it really is his hearers who are committing suicide. It is really his hearers who are giving up their lives, not Jesus. Jesus goes on, he says this, verse 23, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Interesting, uh, I guess we should be used to this by now. Jesus often doesn't respond directly to what people say. He sort of just passes over this idea of suicide. He doesn't address it directly. But he, he sets up this idea of there being two different, two different realms, the realm of below and the realm of above, the realm of, of this world and the realm that is, that is not of this world. And then he gives them this, what, it, what in effect is an indictment. So you, are, you are from below. You are of this world. You are earthbound. You are worldly. You are, you are earthly-minded people. Reminded me what Jesus said about the thorny soil, about those who, who receive the word and then the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. I think for this, for us, this is, uh, this is a caution. Not just for the hearers, but not for the hearers in Jesus' context, but for us as well. I think if we're all honest with each other, we will say that we have a tendency to be earthly-minded. 
I'll just speak for myself. I have a tendency to be, to be earthly-minded. I have a tendency to be earthbound. I, I have a tendency to live as if this realm is all there is. Anybody else? Or just, is that just, just me? Is that the things of this world are the be-all and the end-all. And there's nothing after this. You know, we can see that in the way that we, that we live. If we, if we look at our, at our day planners, if we look at our checkbook registers. I'm day, does anybody have one of those anymore? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. If we, say, we see the things that we actually spend our time and our resources and our talent pursuing, would, would those things... If we were to be completely honest with one another, would those things reveal that we are heavenly-minded or that we're, that we're earthly-minded? I've heard it said, I used to think it was true, that there are people that are too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. You ever heard that phrase before? There are people that are just, they're just too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. The longer I'm around the more I see that that's really not possible for, for a couple of reasons. There, there was never, never, and never will be a more heavenly-minded person than Jesus. Was Jesus of any earthly good? He just died to redeem mankind. That's all. And he was the most heavenly-minded person who ever lived. He just said it. I'm, I'm, from, I'm from above. I'm not, a, I'm not of this world. I think our tendency is to be far too earthly-minded. We're, we're at little risk. Let me put it that way. We're at little risk of being too heavenly-minded. I think if we continued to pursue our heavenly-mindedness as far as we could, I, I don't think we're running the risk of being too heavenly-minded. Apostle Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 3. He said, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's our call. Our call is to be heavenly-minded, to be, have, our, have our eyes and our, and our hearts oriented toward things that are above. See, those who walk the road that leads to death are they're earthbound. They're consumed by the things of this world. They pay little attention, give little thought to the things that are above. And not only are they earthbound, but they're, but they're unbelieving. You see that in verse, 20, uh, in verse 24. Jesus goes on. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins. He says, and then he says it again. He already said it. Now he says it again. Maybe because it didn't seem like they heard him the first time. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So not only is it earthboundness, that takes us down this road that leads to death. It's, it's unbelief. The thing that is going to, to, to cause your death, you're going to die in your sins. And he says it twice. You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. You will die in your sins. And there's something, um, something fairly remarkable going on here. I don't, uh, you probably didn't. I read the NASB at the beginning. You probably didn't pick up the nuance. So I'll tell you what it is. Here in the ESV, it says, um, unless you believe that I am He. 
That word he is not in the, uh, it's not in the Greek, not in the original language. In fact, when the NASB translates this verse, they just said, for unless you believe that I am. Scholars go back and forth on what, it exact, what exactly it is that Jesus is trying to say here. I am of the opinion that Jesus is making a very definitive statement here. When he says, unless you believe that I am, he is intentionally linking himself to the declaration in Exodus chapter 3 when, when, when Moses is at the burning bush and he's commissioned to go back to, to Egypt and to deliver the people of Israel. And Moses says to God, well, when I go to the people, who should I, who should I tell them is sending me? Who are you? And, Jesus, and, and God says to him, tell them, I am. I am that I am. I am is sending you. I think that's exactly what Jesus intends here. He's saying that unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am divine, unless you believe that I am God, you will die in your sins. The, uh, again, the NASB just simply translates it with the I am, giving us a clear link to that Exodus 3 passage. Um, there are other nuances here as well. Um, Don Carson points out that there's also language in Isaiah that could be referred to here. The ESV translating, I am, the translating it, I am he. I'm not saying that the translators of the ESV are, are wrong. They're just taking a little bit different approach. There are several verses in the, at the, uh, in the second half of Isaiah that have a, have a relationship to this. Um, this is just one. This is Isaiah chapter 43, uh, verse 10. This is God speaking. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Similar language is what we see here, um, both New American Standard and ESV. They carry that same meaning. And whether you track it all the way back to Exodus 3 or whether you see the connection with Isaiah, I think Jesus is saying the same thing in both cases. In order for you to be saved, in order for you to not travel the road that leads to death, you must believe that I am, that I am God. And unless you believe that, you're going to die in your sins. The, the first reaction after he says this, and by the way, he's, he's going to say it again, just in case they didn't pick up on it. He says it three times in this chapter. The third time that he says it, by the way, it's very clear that they understand exactly what he means, because when you get to the very end of the chapter, um, when he says it for the final time, they pick up stones to stone him, clearly understanding that what he is doing is making himself out to be God. But their first reaction here is, uh, not surprisingly, a little bit of confusion. Verse 25, they said to him, who are you? Who are you? Now, there's, there are layers of irony here. Uh, we, we don't get tone of voice, so we're not exactly sure what it is that, they're, what, what it is that they mean. I've heard some say that they're, saying it, that they're saying it ironically, or they might be saying it mockingly, as if in, who do you think you are? I don't take it that way. I take it as that they're just confused. And the irony is that they, they've thought up to this point, if you think back, they said, oh, we know who you are. You're Joseph and Mary's son. You're from Nazareth. We, we know you. In fact, that's one of the reasons they've given for why they can't believe that he's the Messiah. He's just too well known to be the Messiah. But there's something in what Jesus has said that has made them take a step back. 
And, and think for just a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give some credit where credit is due to these people. They're saying, wait a second. We, th we thought we knew who you are. But now you're telling us, unless we believe that you're, that you're God, that, we, we're, that we're destined for death, is that, who are you? I think there's some honest confusion here. And as I said, by the end of the chapter, they fully recognize what he's saying, who he is claiming to be, causes them to want to put him to death right then and there. So that's, uh, that's the road that leads to death. But Jesus isn't finished. He has more to say. And for me, he begins to speak about this road that, uh, that leads to life. Picking it up in, again, verse 25, Jesus, they said, who are you? And Jesus says, well, it's, it's just as I've been telling you from the beginning. In, in the NASB, it poses a question, what, what have I been telling you? Don't, don't you remember? Again, giving us the implication that the people he's speaking to now, to now are the people he's been speaking to all along. It's the same crowd. It's the same group. They've all been hearing what Jesus had to say. He said, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you anything particularly new. I've been telling you this all along. That's just what I've been telling you from the very beginning. He's telling us about the road that leads to life and how to find it. That you find it through, through faith. Find it through faith in me, Jesus is saying. And he's going to tell us more about that. He's going to tell us that it comes through faith in the, in the crucified and glorified Christ. Now, this, again, there, there's, this, there's this idea of confusion that they're almost, they're almost flummoxed by this declaration that he's making. They're not sure how to, how to take it. He's saying, look, I've been telling you this all along. He reiterates, he repeats this testimony he's been giving about the Father and his relationship to the Father. Look at verse 26. He says, I have much to say about you, much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. He's been saying, he has been saying that all along, hasn't he? He's talked about judgment. And now that he didn't come to judge, and yet he is able to judge because he judges in conjunction with the Father. He's, he's told them that already. He's been telling them all along that, that the words that he speaks are not his words. They're, wor they're the words that come from the Father. He's just telling them what he's already told them. And then uh, verse 20, 28, the end of verse 28, he says, I do nothing of my own authority. I speak just as the Father taught me. Again, he's, he's said that before. That he's not, he is not taking on himself the authority, that, he, that his words are not authoritative in and of themselves, they're authoritative because they come in and through his relationship with the Father. He speaks just as the Father taught him. Then he says this in verse 29, he who, sent, who, he, he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Again, he's talking about this, this intimate relationship that he and the Father are together. He'll say later that I and the Father are, are one. There's this intimacy of a relationship between father and son. The one who sent me is, is with me. There's a, there's a sense in which he's saying he is always with me. He's, he, he's never left me alone. He will not leave me alone. I think there's, a, there's a, maybe a, just, a, just a slight bit of irony there as well, as Jesus has seen his earthly following diminish 
As, as those who were excited about him and his ministry at the beginning have begun little by little to fall away, I think Jesus is saying, I'm really okay because the Father's with me. If, if all of you leave me, I'm, I, the Father will still be with me. He, he will not leave me alone. I'm, I'm always doing the things that please him. This sense that he is he's the obedient son, the one who is always obedient to the Father. And then there's this, and this, I think, is, is the center of this, this teaching on, on this road that leads to life. Again, verse 28, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, or more simply, when, he is, when I am lifted up, you will know that I, that I am. This word that's translated lifted up, it's just, it's just one word in the Greek, hupsao, just a bonus, hupsao is the word. It's, it's a single word in Greek translated as lifted up here in our passage. It occurs about 20 times in the New Testament. Almost all of the times, with the exception of the ones we see here in, in John's gospel, um, it's translated exalted. It's, a, it's, an, it's an exaltation. It's a lifting up to, to praise and to honor and to glory. But there's one place where, that's, where it's clearly not what it means. Um, in chapter 12, we'll get there eventually. Um, chapter 12, Jesus uses this same word, but in a different sense, perhaps. He says this in verse 32 of chapter 12, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And then John comments, He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He said, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So when Jesus talks about lifting up, what is it that, it, what is it that he means? Does he mean that he's going to be exalted and, 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 and praised and honored and glorified? Or does he mean that he's going to die? Well, he means both. He means both, because it is in his death, it's in his humiliation, in his crucifixion, in, in the torture, in the torment that he's going to endure. It is in them. It is in them, not in spite of them, but in them, that he is exalted, that he's, that he's glorified. He said, it is a means by which I am going to draw people to myself. I will draw all people to myself. In our passage, he says, when, I, when the Son of Man has been lifted up, then you will know. I think it's just two ways of saying the same thing. You will know that I am He. When I'm lifted up to death, when I'm lifted up to, to glory, then you will know. And, and that's... The, the means by which I will draw people to myself. Again, this is, um, this is from Carson's commentary. 
on the Gospel of John. He says it better than I could, so I'll just let him speak for himself. When will the full disclosure of who Jesus is take place? When will his glory be most fully revealed? That will occur when the Son of Man is lifted up. The double force of the verb is maintained. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross, he is being lifted up to his Father's presence, returned to the glory he enjoyed with the Father before the world began. This does not mean that the cross is merely the first stage on the way to the real exaltation, however, since the cross itself is the glorification of Jesus. The exaltation of Jesus by means of the cross is also the exaltation of Jesus on the cross. This is the event which, though perpetrated by his enemies, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, establishes Jesus' claim most forcefully. Then you will know that I am. So that's the road that leads to life, my friends. The road that leads to life runs through the cross. There's this, there's this sense of paradox here that, that somehow Jesus' humiliation is the same as his, as his exaltation. Somehow his being lifted up on the cross is the same. It's, it's of a piece with his exaltation, with his glorification. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He says that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him. That word translated, the, the words translated highly exalted are just a form of this word we have here that's translated lifted up. In this case, it has a, a prefix, hyper, which means, you know, more than. He's not only lifted up, he's super lifted up. That God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above of every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the exaltation of Jesus. This is Jesus being exalted and lifted up, and yes, lifted up on his cross through his obedience. So we're seeing here this morning, this, this road that leads to death, I mean, this road that leads to life leads through the cross. But Jesus is exalted. When he, when he is lifted up, He will draw all men to Himself. And when He is lifted up, you will know that He is God. As Jesus says, then you will know that I am. I think the only question that remains is, what is this knowing? What's the, what's the composition of this knowing, if you will? See, see Paul tells us that, that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The question is, how is that going to happen? Is, is it going to be a, a rejoicing? Or is it going to be a regret? The people that Jesus is talking to, he's, he sounds like he's almost sealed their fate. He's already told them they're going to die in their sins. And when the Son of Man is lifted up, then you're going to know that I am. And there's the sense that they're going to know that he is, that he is God, but it'll be too late for them. 
that when their knee bows, when their tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's going to be an expression that is, that is overwhelmingly regretful because it's too late for them. I don't feel like I want to leave it there. When Jesus said back in verse 24, I told you you'll die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. There's, there's a corollary here. It's an unspoken corollary, but it's a corollary nonetheless, because there's an unless there. The unless is an opportunity. Because if you stated that positively, you would say, if you do believe that I am, then you won't die in your sins. Isn't that what he says? If, if you don't believe, you will die in your sins. The corollary is also true. If you do believe, if you do place your faith in me, then you will not die in your sins. You'll believe. You'll live. If you, if, you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. That's what Paul says, Romans 10, 9. So I'm not inclined to leave it on the road that leads to death, although that's what sort of permeates our passage this morning. See, the opportunity for life is there. The opportunity to, to step out and, and, and walk on the road that leads to life is there. But what it requires is, is faith. Faith in Jesus and what He has done and what He's accomplished. Seeing Him high and lifted up on His cross and glorified in and through His death and His burial and His resurrection. That's the call for us. So let me leave you with that. Um, verse 30 says this. Uh, I don't want to discount it. It's part of my passage. I should at least mention it. It says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. I think I'm going to leave that sort of as, a, as a, an enticement for you to come back next week and see. We've, we've heard a lot about people believing in Jesus and John's gospel so far. Uh, for the most part, that's been pretty disappointing, if we can all agree. <laughs> There have been people that, that claim belief in Him, but then their, their belief ends up being uh, tenuous, perhaps a little bit shallow. I mean, we're given some encouragement here. It says, as He was saying these things, they believed. So it wasn't, uh, we've seen in, the, in other places where it's, it's the signs that they seem to believe in. Well, now it seems like they're believing in His words. Maybe this gives us some hope that this faith is a little more secure, a little more, a little more deeply rooted. Uh, come back over the next week or two, and, and we'll, we'll see if that's true. One thing I can tell you is that if you do have true faith, if you truly place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that, he, that his, his glorification came through, through His humiliation, that His exaltation came in His cross, and you put your faith in Him because what, if he, what he accomplished on your behalf, you will be saved. You will not die in your sins. So let me pray for us. Father, we, um, we first want to acknowledge our, uh, our tendency, tendency to be fascinated, fixated on the things of this world. Lord, I pray that you would be rooting out in each one of us those things that keep us from from knowing you more fully to being more fully focused on, on, on the things that are above. 
that we would, we would be more and more laying up our treasures in heaven, not so much concerned about accumulating treasures here on earth where, where, rust, where rust and moth corrupt and where, and where thieves break in and steal. We would put our treasures in heaven. We would, we would have our, our eyes and our hearts and our, and our intentions focused on, on the things that are above. And Lord, help us, help us to leave this morning with, a, with a, a new sense of the glory of Jesus and His cross. We're about to, to take communion together. May we do that with a, with a new dimension of thought that not only are we commemorating Jesus and His sacrifice, but we're celebrating His glorification. And the glory came not in spite of His cross, but in and through His cross. So, Lord, continue to be with us this morning. I pray that you will continue to speak to us as we, as we gather at the table, as we, as we sing together. Father, be, in, be with us. May your Spirit move in this place and do the things that only He can do. Renew our hearts. Renew our minds. And we'll give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. We are, uh, we are coming to the table now. We're going to, as I said, both, both commemorate and, and celebrate what Jesus accomplished for us on His cross. Uh, as you come, if you are, uh, we, we practice an open table. If you are uh, a baptized believer, in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to come to the table. As you come, there are trays here at the front. In the trays, there are cups. If you're new with us, there are, there's a cup with bread in it and a cup with juice or wine. You have that, uh, those options. So when you go, take a cup of bread and a cup of whichever you, uh, you, you prefer, the wine or the juice. Um, and then once everybody has come and taken the elements back to their seat, uh, I'll come back and we'll